Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. You're ripping off the very people that work for you. Why? So you can have a little fatter bank account? So that you can buy a few more toys and trinkets and have a little more trappings of this world? That's why you're doing all that? Payday. It's something all of us look forward to. But have you ever received less than you thought should be coming to you? Most of us, probably, at some time in our lives, have received a paycheck that was less than we thought we had earned. Many of us have felt the value we added and the effort we put in deserved more compensation than what we received. Well, we've got some good news today. That is, good news for some and bad news for others. In eternity, God is going to give you exactly what you have coming to you. There's a payday coming someday, and for the worldly person, for the person without a relationship with Jesus Christ, for the person focused on this world and what they can have and what they can do and where they can go and and all this stuff, James says, what's coming for you, the payday coming for you is ruin, absolute ruin, loss of everything that you count valuable and loss of your very soul. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to this week's Crosswalk. Today we move into the final chapter of our study in the book of James. It's part of an overall series entitled, Building on the Basics. Pastor Clay is walking us through most of what are known as the general epistles or general letters of the New Testament, looking at a particular theological truth emphasized by each writer. In the book of James, it has been the subject of faith and the need for us to act on our faith. God could do that, right? I mean, He could just speak the word and our bank account could have $50 million in it, right? He's God. Would anybody argue that God could do that? He's God. Why doesn't he do it? It's the faith principle because without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's all about faith, guys. It's never been about the money. In today's message, Pastor Clay is going to show us how James emphasizes the fact that there is a payday coming someday and what that will mean for those who have a worldly focus and for those who have a godly focus. As you might imagine, payday will be quite different for those two groups of people. The big picture biblical principle today is there's a payday coming someday. We're glad you've joined us today. I'll be back at the end of today's message to wrap things up. Now here's Pastor Clay. I am a bit of a, a history guy. I enjoy history. Uh, I don't know as much as I probably should know and a lot of stuff. And, and, I, and I enjoy the history of the church and that sort of thing. It's very uh, interesting to me. And, uh, and, I, and I'm interested in, in preachers and preachers of the past and pastors and um, and, uh, you know, their, their abilities, their skills, their, their anointing, how God used them in significant ways and things like that. And uh, so uh, I was thinking in, in preparation, as I was working on this sermon for this week, this, uh, this thing kept coming into my mind. Uh, there was a pastor uh, of yesteryear, he's gone home to be with the Lord now, a number of years ago. There's a pastor by the name of uh, R.G. Lee. R.G. Lee uh, pastored uh, the very famous Bellevue uh, Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee for 33 years before Adrian Rogers did, if, y'all, if that makes any sense to y'all. If not, it's okay. <laughs> R.G. Lee uh, was a very prominent uh, pastor uh, in his uh, day. He preached tens of thousands of times uh, during his lifetime uh, and really all over uh, the world. But he was... Uh, particularly noted or famous for one specific sermon that uh, he 
preached. In fact, uh, the sermon was so well received, so well liked, uh, that as I understand it, that R.G. Lee would preach the same sermon at least once a year at Bellevue uh, all, until, he, until he retired. Every year at Bellevue and thousands of other places where he was invited to speak. He was always, you know, everybody wanted to hear this one uh, particular sermon. So, uh, in light of the text today, I am borrowing R.G. Lee's title uh, for that sermon uh, in connection to what uh, James has to say today in James chapter 4. And I'm going to present it to you in a way that I do from time to time. So, you know this if you're part of Cross Culture. I like to present occasionally what I call a BP square, right? I mean, I've heard this before. You say, yeah, yeah, we know what that is. Well, some people, fortunately, we have new people coming in, and they don't know what BP squared is. That could stand for <laughs> gasoline. That's right. It's, what's B, B, BP squared? So BP squared, if you're new to cross culture, BP squared stands for uh, big picture biblical principle. It's just a little thing I came up with to try and say that as you look at a, at a particular section of, of text, a particular passage, a particular... Uh, Steve Pierce, a particular pericope of, uh, of Scripture. Yes. Uh, so uh, when you look at a particular section, uh, sometimes I like to say, okay, what's, what's the overarching idea there? What's the overarching principle that's coming through in that particular section of Scripture? Got it? BP squared. Big picture, biblical principle. And the big picture, biblical principle for James chapter 5, verse 1 through 12 today is... There's a payday coming someday. Thank you. Tell other folks to like it. <laughs> like it on Facebook. <laughs> There's a payday coming someday. Uh, James chapter 5, verses uh, 1 through 12. We're going to break the text down and read a little bit at a time uh, today. But I'm going to start with this idea. A couple ideas I want to share with you. There's a payday coming someday. And here's, what it, here's the first one. For the worldly, it is ruin. That's what James is going to say to us. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Thanks for being here. Open your copy of God's Word if you have one with you in whatever form it might be. Uh, Here we go. He's he's kind of wrapping things up now. He's coming to the end of his letter. He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Well, that couldn't have sounded too good. Your riches, listen to what he says now, your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasures. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. The idea is excess pleasure. You just, you have fattened your hearts, listen, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man And he does not resist you. There's a payday coming someday. And for the worldly, it is ruin. 
The book of James, if you've been with us through this series, the book of James is not a long book. It, it, most of you know it was originally a letter. It's not a long book. In, in chapter form, it's only five chapters. And again, if you have been with us through this series, one thing that has come through over and over and over and over again is that uh, faith is, is an action. Faith is a verb. Faith is something that should change you. Faith is something that, that should be implemented in your life. It, it changes who you are. It changes your perspective. It changes your idea about people. It changes your morality. It changes uh, your work ethic. It changes, it changes everything. That if your faith is authentic, if it is genuine, if it is true, then it has to change you. Faith is a verb. Faith is an action. And I was reading this week about a woman uh, named Rosaria Butterfield. Rosaria Butterfield was a radical uh, leftist, radical, liberal, feminist, lesbian professor at Syracuse University who was radically changed by the power of the gospel. I, I, after reading this story about her, I, I want to I read uh, her book. She wrote a book, she actually, I think got two books out now, but I want to read her book. It's, it's entitled, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. I, I don't get a, a take for promoting her book, uh, by the way. I, I just like promoting stories of transformation. Besides, maybe someday Rosaria will promote my book. Uh, by the way, do you know what started her down Transformation Road? She wrote an article a scathing article in a local newspaper, I guess they're in, in Syracuse, about, uh, and I think an upcoming or had just happened, a men's promise keepers uh, conference that was taking place or about to take place or something like that. And uh, as a uh, radical leftist, uh, feminist, uh, lesbian, she wrote this article just slamming the promise, promise keepers movement. If you're not familiar with promise keepers, it's really big, particularly in the 90s. Uh, it was a, a movement that was calling men back to uh, the biblical role of being the leader of their home. Uh, Promise Keepers was, was all about that. It was about it's men, it's time to stand up and be men. It's time to be the men that God has called you to be and lead your homes and, you know, lead the church and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so she wrote this, this article just really slamming this, uh, what she saw as a, a, you know, a sexist, man-powering kind of movement. A local pastor in that area wrote a letter to her challenging some of, her, some of the assertions that she made in the article. And then he did something that I'm sure Rosaria never expected. He invited Rosaria to come have dinner with he and his wife at their home. Rosaria says when she, when she first got the letter, she wadded it up and she just threw it in the trash can. But something, maybe we should say someone, made her get that invitation back out of the trash and look at it again, and she decided to take this pastor up on his offer and go have dinner with he and his wife in their home. And it, didn't, it wasn't, wasn't overnight, it wasn't instantaneous, but that began the process of Rosaria going down Redemption Road where, to the, where she came to the point where she trusted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. I tell you all that just to say this, never underestimate the power of God to use you in the most insignificant ways that you may think how God can use you to affect a person's life. One of the things we try and promote here from, uh, at Cross Culture is we do these uh, Love Your Neighbor Days where we have kind of events and things like that. But we also have these things we do from time to time called Love Your Neighbor Nights. And it doesn't have to be specifically on a calendar, although we set some from time to time. But at any time, you can say, you know what, we're going to have the Smiths over for dinner Friday night. It, just, just have 
some people over, just get to know your neighbors, and, and who knows what God will, will do with that. But uh, never underestimate your, uh, your ability to be used by God in a significant way in people's lives. You know, you look at a person like Rosaria Butterfield, and it's easy to see the transformation in a life like that. But you know what? The truth is, the transformation that takes place in our lives should be just as evident. Well, maybe, maybe our sins aren't, aren't as out front or public or whatever as, as some other person's. Uh, it's not necessarily that the change in the sinful attitude, obviously that should occur, but it has to do with the reprioritizing of our life. That because of this, this faith thing that I have now, this faith in Jesus Christ that he was, who, uh, I, who his word says he was, who, who Ivy read this morning in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Because I've come to believe that, my faith then should reprioritize my life. That, that's, that's the bottom line here. So James is wrapping up this letter. And it's, it's been about faith, faith, faith all the way through. And as he's coming to an end, I believe that you can see that James begins to give some, some practical ways in which that faith should begin to uh, display itself in our lives. And in the beginning of James chapter 5, he does that within the context of impending judgment, a judgment that is coming. And for the worldly, James says, it is ruin. That what is coming to them is is ruin because the focus, the priority is is here. It's 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 what I have or what I can have or or what I should have or what I think I need or or whatever else. I want to point this out. I've said this numerous times, but I want to say it again. It's not the money as he's talking about this person in, in James chapter 5, it's not the money that is the problem. You can look numerous places in Scripture where God blessed people financially. Abraham was incredibly wealthy. Job was incredibly wealthy. David, Solomon, others who were blessed of God and had much materially speaking. It's not the wealth, it's not the money or... The lack thereof, that, that's not the issue. The issue with God is what's the priority? What's the focus of your lives? That's where James is going with this. What is it that really matters to you? And in James chapter 5, I want you to read verses 2 and, I think it's 2 and 3 again, this time from the New Living Translation. It says this, he says, your wealth is rotting away. And your fine clothes are, are moth-eaten. Now, I'm sure they're not at that point. But he's saying, this, this, is what, this is where you're headed. This is what's going to become of this stuff. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth that you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure that you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. Wow. James doesn't pull any punches. And he says, this is the problem. It's because you're storing up this stuff, and this stuff is actually going to testify against you someday. Because you've made it, you've made it all about you. That's what it is for this guy. It's his life, it's his wealth, it's his money, it's his business, it's his farm, it's, his, it's, it's all about him. And God says there ought, to be, there ought to be a different priority in your life. There ought to be something else that matters. He says, look, he says, look at this guy. James says, for what? what that, that's what you're, this is what you're storing it up for? There ought to be a different 
priority. And particularly in this area of, of resources, he says, he says you, you're ripping off the very people that work for you. Why? So you can, so you can have a little fatter bank account? So that you can, can have a, a, a little more uh, in your, so you can buy a, a few more toys and, and trinkets and have a little more trappings of, of this world. That's, that's why you're doing all that. Well, what's wrong, with, what's wrong with toys? What's wrong with having some fun? What's wrong with enjoying life? Not a thing. Not a thing. God doesn't, God doesn't care whether you have nice things or... With, I mean, it's, that's not a problem for the problem for God is what is the priority or the focus of our life. And for this guy, it clearly was somebody else. He, he's, he's, he's taking advantage of those who work for him when he should have been taking care of them. He should have been blessing them. He could have been using his wealth to, to honor God. And it would have shown a priority for eternal things and not worldly things. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? I mean, that's pretty cut and dry, isn't it? When Cindy and I first got married... I worked for a, a local uh, company that was uh, family-owned. Not, not my family, another family. It was a family-owned uh, business that I, that I worked for. Uh, we lived in an old uh, mobile home, and we had, we had one uh, car, a Chevrolet El Camino. Awesome, 305 V8. Um, and in very short order, we had our, we had our first son. And the minimum wage in uh, 1978 was $2.65 an hour. I looked it up because I didn't remember. So I looked it up. $2.65 an hour. And uh, I can remember on a couple of occasions uh, going to the owner of the founder, the owner of the company, and, uh, and asking and talking about uh, a raise. And uh, his response, in, in essence, was, well, now, Clay, he was an older gentleman. I'm not doing justice to his accent. He said, now, now, Clay, I'm afraid we just can't afford to give you a raise right now. Now, I understand that. That's fine, right? Companies go through times of, you know, greater and less uh, profit and sometimes not, you know, so I understand all that stuff. What made that a hard pill to swallow was at the same time he was telling me that uh, his his son was building a gigantic home. I mean gigantic new home and he's driving a very expensive car and, and all that. Now, listen, don't get me wrong. It was his company. He had built it. He had worked hard for it. He had built it into what it was. You understand what I'm saying? I, I am very pro-capitalism. I believe in the opportunity for people to, to, to make money and, and have wealth. And I am, not a, uh, I, I am not one of these that just thinks that, 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 the wealth, that, the, that the wealthy are seen as the enemy and that, uh, that their wealth should be given to other people just because. I, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm not a believer in that. What I'm saying is, is that, that perhaps uh, if, if, you, if you were to think about, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm making money. Who's, who's helping me make this money? Who's, who's working hard and, and showing uh, that they've got a good work ethic? And, who, and how can I bless this person? How can I reward? I'm just saying that, that it would show, when we do something like that, it, it will show whether we have an eternal perspective or a worldly perspective in how we treat those that work for us. Does that make sense? This idea of material wealth. Listen, here's what Jesus has to say about some of this uh, teaching. Look, this is the first time I've gotten up. I've gotten so used to not moving for six weeks, being on the crutches, I've forgotten to get up. Uh, in Jane, in uh, Matthew chapter 6, look at this. He says, Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth. Now listen to what he said. He said, ah, would you stop it? Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them. Does it sound like James's language? James, you can tell James 
had studied Jesus' teaching. Where, where moths eat them and rust destroys them. Where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. Where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. In other words, whatever is the priority, whatever is the focus of your life, that's really showing where your heart is in this whole earthly, material versus heavenly, eternal perspective. Okay? Look at Luke chapter 12. Look what he says. He says, Then someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator between you two? (laughs) And then he said to them, Watch out. Guard yourselves from all types of greed. Because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. Do you hear what he's saying? Same idea that he was talking about in Matthew chapter 6. He then told them a parable. The land of a certain rich man produced an abundant crop. And so he thought to himself, the rich man, Well, what should I do for I have nowhere to store my crop. I've got so much stuff. I don't, I don't, know, I don't have room to put all my stuff. I have to go rent a, a, a storage space. Then he said, I will do this. I know. I'll tear down my smaller barns, I'll build bigger ones, and, and there I'll store all my grain and all my goods, and, and I'll say to myself, well, you have plenty of goods stored up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, celebrate. But God said to him, you fool. That's your focus? That's, what, that's your solution to all this stuff? Oh, I'll just build bigger barns. So then I can have more stuff. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded back from you. But who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And so it is with the one who stores up riches for himself, but is not rich toward God. It is having this perspective that this, all of this stuff is passing away and, and, and this stuff is going to come way faster than any of us think about and that this is where the priority ought to be. This is where the focus ought to be, not on how much of it I can gather down here. There's a payday coming someday, and for the worldly person, for the person without a relationship with Jesus Christ, for the person focused on this world and what they can have and and what they can do and where they can go and and all this stuff, James says, what's coming for you, the payday coming for you is ruin, absolute ruin, loss of everything that you count valuable, and loss of your very soul. Now, what is the takeaway for us here uh, this morning? Some of you may be in a position where you actually uh, own your own business or uh, you're in a position where you, you actually have employees that work for you and you pay those employees. Obviously, this idea of people treating people fairly, treating people well, is, is big for God. He's very big on that, on treating uh, people well. And, and so the takeaway is that, is that be good to those who are good to you. Pay people what they're worth to be paid. If, if they have the work ethic, if they're putting in the time, if they, as God blesses you, bless them. Why would you withhold so that you can get a little bit more? Now listen, again, your company, you, you thought of it or you inherited it or you grew it or you did whatever, your company, nothing wrong with being blessed and financially succeeding and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but what he's saying, he says, if you'll, if you'll think about the people that are part of you and the people that, 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 that pour into you, if, as God blesses you, you bless them. Why? Because for one thing, you can't take it with you anyway. But secondly, and really more importantly, it shows that you have 
an eternal perspective and not a worldly perspective. It's not about how, how big can I grow or can I get a million by this or I've got... It's, 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 it's understanding the difference. You see what I'm saying? Okay, but what about the, the majority of us here probably aren't in a position where we pay other people? What, what's the takeaway uh, for us? Most of us aren't concerned about uh, how much we're, we're storing up. Most of us are just trying to keep up, right? We're, we're, we're just trying to, we're trying to pay the bills and get the kids through school and, and worry about how we're going to get them through college and, uh, you know, maybe take a little vacation here and there and, and hopefully save a little bit for for retirement, if that, if that day uh, comes and Jesus tarries, you know, and I, that's, that's probably where most of us are. What's the takeaway for us? Actually, it's exactly the same. Maybe not the, you know, how you pay people thing, but it's exactly the same. The idea that the priority has to be here and not here. That the, the truth is a, a wealthy person can have an earthly perspective and a not-so-wealthy person can have an earthly perspective. Rich, poor, or in the middle, it doesn't matter. It's what is the perspective, what is the priority, what is the the focus of our lives. And in the area of material possessions, and all of us have some, whether you're wealthy here, whether you're in the middle, whether you consider yourself poor, all of us have possessions to some extent. In the area of possessions, in the area of wealth, here it is, what is your priority? That's the question. What is your priority? Faith is an action. It ought to be lived out. And God has given us a means to do that. I I, want to give you an illustration. It's going to sound like I'm teaching on tithing, but the illustration is on a time I was teaching on tithing. So hang with me. Years ago, a number of years ago, I was in another church, and I was teaching a series on biblical stewardship uh, and on the principle of tithing that God... uh, 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 commands us to give back a, ten, a minimum of 10% of our income back to him. You see, God doesn't, God doesn't just uh, command us to, uh, to walk by faith in the area of our, stu- our stewardship or our financial resources, our wealth. He doesn't just tell us to do that. He actually provides a way in which we can do it, a way in which we actually can live by faith and, and demonstrate that we're living by faith. So I, I was doing this teaching on on stewardship, and I was saying that this, this God gives this command to give back to Him. Number one, as a way to demonstrate that my faith—what is faith? Faith is an action. Faith is a verb. What is I've said all along? That my faith is actually in God, not in how much money is in my checking account, not how much money is that I'm getting paid per year or any of that kind of stuff. That my faith is actually in God. Number one, this is a very important principle that we understand about about giving, folks, whatever you give or don't give. Very important principle that you understand, that, that first and foremost, it's always about faith, that tithing is a means through which God allows us to put our faith in action. It's not about what he needs. It's about what we need to give to put our faith into action. Does that, you understand what I'm saying? So number one, that. Number two, because God has uh, decreed that, that through the giving of the local church, through the the, the tithe of, of, the, of the church body, that, he, that that would be the means through which he would provide the resources needed for the work of that local church. That's, that's the system that God set up. Some of y'all know, I'm, y- y'all know y'all don't, some of y'all don't like it, but I'm not a fundraiser guy. We don't, I drove by a church the other day, and they got signs all out in the yard, church fundraiser, chicken dinners, church fundraiser, and I, I'm just not on that. I, that's not me. I just don't think it's biblical. 
Because, number one, God's already given us a system. Number two, uh, it, it, it actually decreases people's faith instead of increases their, their faith. So anyway, get off of that, Clay. So, so, um, so, so, the, so the church, listen, the church corporately has to operate by faith just like the church individually has to operate by faith. It's the same idea. Listen, I, I, I can tell you all this because and, and, y'all are all family here. Uh, that, Cross-cultural churches had to do that basically uh, from the beginning, uh, quite honestly. But particularly this year, it seems like we're in a, we're in a phase of, of uh, having, as a church, to, to live by, by faith. Last year, and some of y'all weren't, weren't here, last year, uh, we took in more than budget for the first time in the history of Cross-cultural Church. We took in more resources and more receipts than, than we'd actually uh, budgeted for. That's a wonderful problem to have, by the way. Uh, we'd, never, we'd never experienced that before. Um, in faith, uh, the elders of Cross Culture Church expanded the budget slightly. They, they expanded some of the ministry areas. They uh, gave the staff a small pay increase, which they hadn't had in several years, and, um, and, and just stepped out in faith. That's, that's what faith does, and God's people and stuff. Well, it, it turns out, it just so happens that this year, uh, Cross Culture Church seems like have, have lost particularly uh, a significant number of families you always have families come and go, and that, that's part of the process of, of church. But this year, particularly, it seems like we've lost uh, quite a few uh, 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 families. It seems like the, the, the Brantleys uh, uh, felt like they wanted to go over and, and uh, be a part of their son's ministry at another church. The Lemons family uh, left when April took a staff position in another church. The Spearing family uh, moved to Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, just recently, the, the Clary family, uh, uh, expecting Eric to take a teaching position somewhere else in the country, made the decision to, to, uh, to focus on their uh, neighborhood up in North Durham and try and reach them before, uh, before they uh, move. So, so, so there seems like there have been a significant number of those. I'm going somewhere with this. Stay with me. So uh, I don't, we don't, the elders don't, no, we don't, nobody looks at what anybody gives at, at this church. Obviously the financial secretary, the, you know, they, they have to record the record stuff, but, but don't look at what people give. But I do know that, we're, that giving is down uh, this year. So you have to assume that the loss of some of those families has, has some impact on that, right? You have to say, well, that must be, you know, we've lost several families. Have to so here, here's where I'm going. What does that mean for the church? What does the church do? The church does just what you're supposed to do. The church continues to operate by faith. The church tightens its belt and the church says God is perfectly capable of providing the resources that we need. God is perfectly capable of sending the families that, to replace the other families that, have a, that believe in the vision, that want to see where cross-culture is going, that want to see it reach the community. That God can do all of those things. So it is a matter still, we're back to the idea of walking by faith. Believing God and trusting God and walking by faith. Whether we're talking about individual lives or corporately as a body, it's always coming back to the idea of faith. So, before we move on, I'm going to move on pretty quickly here, but before we move on, I just want to ask you that again. In this area of, of, of materialism that, that you have, that we all have and we all enjoy, nothing wrong with it, but what is the focus? What is the priority of your life? So, I'm doing this teaching, I'm teaching in this, and, and uh, about this stewardship thing in this series at this church where I was, and uh, someone turns in a note. <laughs> you can tell, was that you, you can tell Steve Pierce is a pastor, you can tell he's a pastor, because he knows about notes. <clears throat> and I don't even have to say this, but an unsigned note. Yeah. <laughs> 
it, it, wasn't, it wasn't bad. But listen, here's, and I, I want you to see what the note, I want you to see what the note said. Here's what the note said. It said, we have elderly people in this church on a fixed income. Surely you don't expect them to tithe. Now, listen, if that person had signed that note, I would have gone to them and I would have said, listen, first and foremost, understand this. I don't expect anything. I'm not God. He's God. It's not about my expectations. It's not my money. It's his money. So it's not about what I expect. I would have tried to clarify that right off the bat. But here's what I'm asking you. I'm asking you this question. I want you to think about this. What's wrong with this question? What's, we, have, we have elderly people in the church on a fixed income. Surely you don't expect them to tithe. What's wrong with that question? Uh, don't, don't, even, don't even bother. I got the answer for you. Tyler's going to bring it up on the screen right now. The problem with that question is that it is resource-based and not faith-based. Do you understand? What, it, what was that question saying? Well, if, you know, if, if they had more money, if they made more money, well, then they could, then they could afford to be obedient. Survey says, Arr! no, 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 that's not faith. And what does the writer of Hebrews say? Without faith, it is, say it, impossible to please God. By the way, that's why God doesn't just zap a church the money. Because God could do that, right? I mean, I mean, he could just see say, speak the word and our bank account could have $50 million in it. <laughs> right? He's God. Would anybody argue that God could do that? He's God. Why doesn't he do it? It's the faith principle. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's all about faith. God, it, guys, it's never been about the money. Okay. So, in the area of materialism, the, 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 the size of your house, fantastic. You want a bigger one? No problem. You want a nicer car? You want any car? You want, it's, none of that is a problem. What we have to think about is what is the focus? What's the priority of my life? And you can determine that pretty easy. I mean, you can, if you get honest with yourself, you can figure out you know, where you are in all that. God has put some mechanisms in place where you can walk by faith, even in the area of, of material wealth. But the focus is here, not there. Not, not, not here, what we have. Okay, real quickly, we, we, better, we better move on. Uh, so for the, for the worldly, it is ruin. For the godly, it is rescue. It is rescue. That's the payday coming someday. And, and let me read verse 7 through 12. Y'all still with me? All right, your stomachs aren't ground too loud yet, right? Therefore, be patient, brethren. Listen, now listen to what James says. Be patient, brethren. Listen to how he says this over and over again, same thing. Until the, what does it say? Coming of the Lord. I have it on very good authority that the Lord is coming. Therefore, be patient, brother, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the earthly and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. By the way, that was true when James said it 2,000 years ago. Yes, it's been 2,000 years. But there's that idea of living in the perspective that his return could come at any moment. And it could come, I believe, at any moment. And by the way, when you die, the Lord will be very near. Either way. You understand what I'm saying? Do not complain, he says, verse 9. Do not complain, brethren, against one another so that your cells may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured, hear that patience, enduring, waiting, 
You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. James, be patient, hold up, endure. Hey, and let's be honest, uh, this world is not always easy in this world, right? Hard times, difficulties, trials, tribulations, hardships, tragedies, all that kind of stuff comes into our lives. It's part of the life in which we live. But it's part of the life to which we have been called as a follower of Christ. Now, in in some extent, all that stuff happens to everybody, right? Everybody has trials and tribulations. That's why I've always said that the, the greatest witness you can be is to have peace, have joy, have contentment, even in the midst of your trials and tribulation, because other people have them too, and they can see and they look at your life and say, wow, what does that person have that I don't have? So there's a sense in which everybody experiences trials and tribulations in their life. But in the context of James chapter 5, he clearly seems to be indicating the, 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 the things that can happen to you as a result of being a follower of Jesus. It, as I said earlier, if you, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, it's supposed to change you, right? It changes your morality. It changes your, your work ethic. It changes your marriage. It changes uh, your philosophy or your worldview. It, cha- it really should change everything. It makes you different than the vast majority of the people around you in your culture. It does. It will make you different. And being different in our culture and being in a way that our culture says is not the way you should be or not the way we want you to be sets you up. It will set you up for ridicule. Some of y'all have been ridiculed for your faith, for persecution. Some of you have lost your jobs because of, because of your faith. Even execution. I know we don't think about that in America. We're, we're, we feel like we're pretty safe, at least at this point, in, in America. But please understand, today, almost certainly, look at me, almost certainly today, somewhere in the world, someone will die because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And we are so sheltered. So we understand that some of this stuff is going to happen in our life. It's, it's, it's going to come. It's, it's part of, of this world in which we live in. It's part of being a follower of Jesus Christ. But if you sign up for the deal, you sign up for the deal, right? That's why, you know, I, I'm, here I go. What did I do with my soapbox? I need to get it out and get back on it. This is, this is one of my pet peeves. I have several. This is one of my pet peeves is that, that churches have just promoted this idea. You know, you get the people in the door and bring them in by the thousands. And praise God for getting thousands of people in the church. I, I want to get thousands in here. I really do. And, and have a spectacular worship experience and get the smoke and mirrors going and whatever. Get it all going. It's fantastic. And, and, and give, them, give, them, give them Jesus. Just, just, if, you just, if you just accept Jesus, if you just accept Jesus as your Savior, you're going to heaven. And that's true. But, but, but what, what I, I'm afraid what I've seen is that the other side of the message is not given to them, which is, yes, your salvation is absolutely a free gift to you. God paid for it. But it will cost you big time to follow Jesus in the culture in which we live. It will. And, and, and the reason I'm on this so much is because I, I'm convinced that a vast majority of people professing to be part of the church don't have a clue about this idea of rescue. Rescue? Rescue from what? I, I'm, 
I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Things are going pretty well. And I got my Jesus. Like, you know, he's a get out of hell free card, but no idea that he is master of your life. And so the idea of rescue, the idea of, of deliverance, the idea of having to endure and be patient until that time seems like a foreign rescue from what? Endure what? The closer you come in this relationship with Jesus Christ. This is, listen, it's worth it. I'm telling you, it's worth it. I'm saying, the closer you come in this walk with Jesus Christ, the more you appreciate what James is saying here. That someday, for the godly, for the people that place their faith in Jesus Christ, there is a rescue coming. And the longer I live in this sin-saturated world, the more I look forward to that rescue. And I know when you're 15, you're not looking forward to it. Right? When you're 16, you're like, man, I, I no, man, I want to, uh, Jesus come back, that's great, but let's make it in about 25 years or so, right? I, I understand that. I'm just saying that the more you walk with Christ, the more you live in this world and see what is happening in this world, the more the idea of rescue sounds really, really good. Because, and we're moving to, after we finish James next week, we'll move into uh, uh, the book, uh, Peter's books. But look, look at First uh, Peter uh, chapter uh, 2. Dear friends, you are like, foreigners and strangers in this world i beg you to avoid the evil things that your body want to do that fight against your soul right we know that the flesh pull and we know we understand all that people who do not believe are living all around you and might say that you're you're doing wrong because you're you're wasting your sundays in church or you're you're picking up trash on the side of the road or you're giving your money to to help build the kingdom or you're uh, not using language that, that, that everybody thinks. You know what I'm saying? They might think you're, you're doing wrong. Live such good lives that they will see the good things you do and will give glory to God on the day when Christ comes again. What is he saying? You're just a foreigner. You're just a stranger. You're just passing through this world. This isn't your home. This isn't our home. We've got a home waiting for us. There's a rescue planned, ladies and gentlemen. I can't tell you when it'll be. But James says, be patient. Hold on. He says, they, look, at, look at him. He says, look, 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 at the, look at the prophets. Man, the Old Testament prophets, you're talking about tr- preaching and trying to be godly in a, in a time when people were ungodly and hedonistic and sexual immorality and, and even the s- sacrifice of children to false gods. Doesn't sound a whole lot different than today, really. And James says, look at them. They, they, they focused here it is. They focused on, on, on what's to come. They focused on the eternal. They focused on the godly. They focused on the things that, that really mattered for them. I, I left this out. I just, I just dawned on me that I left out one of y'all's blanks, and some of y'all won't be able to sleep tonight. This is the difference. This is the difference. For the worldly that we talked about, too much focus on self, not enough focus on others. That's the problem. That was their problem. It was all about me. But, but for us... For the godly, not the perfect, okay? Is there anybody in here, per- not the perfect, not the get it right all the time. That's a really small crowd. But for us, it is too focus on, uh, it's too focus on what's coming and too focus on what's godly. That's what the prophets did. And Job, man, c- couldn't find a guy that got slammed more than Job did. Can you? But do you know what Job said in the midst of being slammed and, and, and losing everything. Think about this. Job lost everything while he was trying to do everything right. He was trying to lead the life, man. And that's how some of you feel sometimes. You're like, man, okay, okay, Clay. 
I hear you. I'm trying to do that. And I just keep getting punched upside the head with life. Look at what uh, Job uh, says. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Go back, Tyler. One. Uh, Go to Job chapter 13. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Man, if, if, if God just, if, if, if it just kills me, I'm still going to trust in him. No matter what it all looks like. So then, in, in chapter 19, he says this. As for me, watch this. This is looking, this is, this is enduring, this being patient. This is looking for what is coming, folks. For as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed. Listen to what he's saying. He said, even after I'm dead, I know I'm going to rise again. That's essentially what he's saying. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh, I will see God. That's what you and I have to look forward. That is the rescue that is coming. This life, quite honestly, at times stinks. Now listen to me. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean, I've got to close them. That doesn't mean that you and I ought to act like a bunch of, of scared uh, cruise ship people on a, on a ship that's going down fast. Okay? We may feel that way about the world, but that is not how we should look at life. You and I ought to be the most content, the most joyful. We ought to be the happiest people of anybody around. Not because our circumstances are necessarily any better than anybody else's, but because we know where we're going. We know the rescue that's coming. For the world, listen, for the worldly, tragically, it is ruined. That's why we reach out. That's why we go. That's why we, that's why we spend money to try and do, that's why we're trying to, to sell to Tell people, God loves you. He's got a plan for your life. But it requires you repenting of your sin and turning to him. We're not going to give up. Until Jesus comes back, we won't give up trying to, to give that message to the worldly, to those outside of relationship with Jesus Christ. But for those who are in that relationship, take heart. It's really what James said. Hang in there. Endure. Be patient. There is a rescue coming for you that will be better than anything you can imagine and will make every bit of whatever you have experienced in this life will make every single bit of it worth it. For the worldly, ruin, and for the godly, rescue. Those are two vastly different endings, aren't they? Those living for this world are focused only on what they can get in this world. But as we heard today, their worldly focus and accumulation of material possessions will actually testify against them when they stand before God. Those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ have to act on our faith, as Job and the Old Testament prophets did. Our focus should be not on what we can accumulate down here, but on what God is preparing for us up there. As Pastor Clay pointed out today, in this life, in this world, we can and should enjoy life. And there is nothing wrong with having material possessions. The problem is when the material takes priority over the spiritual. God created us for something better. And the certain hope we can hold on to in this world of trials and tribulations is that there is a payday coming someday. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? 
getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Slay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable to every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. Cross-Culture Church. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're searching for. Cross-Culture Church. I'm not the water. I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.